Welcome to episode three of It's All Relative. If you've already listened, thank you and welcome back. And if you're new, thank you for joining us. We are the Fanspeak.com team and family, and we're excited to cover everything football and share our love for the game with you. I'm Megan, and besides running Fanspeak with my brother Steve, I'm your moderator for this show. So let's get right to it and introduce the rest of our Fanspeak team and family. Brother Steve is our Fanspeak resident NFL draft expert and content manager. Steve, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. All right, and then we have our cousin Brad, who is Fanspeak's data guru. Brad, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing quite all right. All right, guys. Well, we're excited to talk about another week of college, NFL, fantasy football, and this week was very busy, so let's get right to it. Um, We always start with our first segment of kind of picking our favorite TV and movie quote or GIF, something to summarize the week in football. Um, I'll go first. Um, I, uh, in, in daily fantasy is what I focus on most, had a little bit of a, a sweat on Sunday and it all came down to Alvin Kamara and Cooper Cup in the Rams Saints game. And in that game, Cooper Cup had a touchdown called back and Kamara had a game that was very, very, very unexpected and had under 10 points. So this will date me a bit, but um, the Seinfeld Serenity Now episode where George's dad had to say Serenity Now to keep down his blood pressure. And then they all started saying it. I literally probably had to say Serenity Now and do deep breathing exercises for most of um, the the end of the four o'clock game. So so that was me on, on Sunday. Steve, what was your movie quote or TV quote? Uh, mine's not so much one direct quote, but just watching the Dolphins now, it reminds me of major league and how i must feel like uh you know if you're being a dolphins fan uh, you know like bob euchre in in the press box just trying to make a positive out of clearly a team that's just absolutely tanking and (laughs) doing nothing to win and yeah you know you're just trying to make it sound okay and these this team's just getting blown out i know they faced two good teams so far but there's no real indication that it's going to improve anytime soon. They just trade one of their best players uh, in Minka Fitzpatrick, and they're likely to trade a few more before the deadline. Wow. What's Bob, what was Bob Euchre's best quote in that movie, in your opinion? Uh, <laughs> well, probably when uh, uh, Charlie Sheen's character was pitching, and he threw four, uh, 12 straight balls, and he said, how are these guys laying off these close pitches? Not a single <laughs> one was anywhere near the plate. Oh, wild thing. All right, Brad, what's your what's your quote to summarize the week? Um, mine is more of a, a meme, but it does come yes. from a TV show. Um, okay. It's from uh, South Park with the ski instructor. And the top <laughs> line is normally some sort of qualifying line, and the bottom line is you're going to have a bad time. So the top <laughs> line for me is if you played Steelers in cash, you're going to have a bad time. And uh, yes. I certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that was brutal. Who would have seen that coming too? Whew. Um, all right, guys. Well, let's move on to college football. And we're going to summarize the past week by having Brad take a look at the stats, the team stats, and Steve taking a look at the player and NFL prospects. So, Brad, we do this every week. You give us our our your favorite three team stats that really stood out to you this weekend. What were they? So I did a little bit more than three stats. I kind oh, of I love also, it. kind of also focused on more of uh, upcoming matchups. Um, cool. So the first one I did was Michigan at Wisconsin. Um, 
Michigan is 12th in the scoring offense and 9th in total offense, and that's Big Ten rankings, so that's not very good. And they're going up to uh, Wisconsin, um, who leads the FBS in a total defensive yards allowed with 107 a game. Um, and so it's kind of a, a bad offense, good defense kind of situation. And uh, in the first big, real uh, Big Ten matchup of the year. Right. Um, I think uh, something to note is that Wisconsin gave up 444 last year to Michigan, which included 320 on the ground. So I don't think that's going to be happening again. Um, <laughs> but I think it'll be interesting to see if Michigan, Michigan's offense can improve their efficiency whatsoever. Right. Um, the next I like, game. I like that for the, the preview for the first Big Ten matchup this week. That was yeah. good. Uh, another matchup I, I decided to highlight was the Notre Dame at Georgia game. Um, probably the biggest game of the week. Um, in week three, Notre Dame had five passing plays for more than 50 yards, which is the most in the last 15 years. And Georgia had 656 total yards on offense, which is the fifth highest in school history. So, you know, they're, both of these offenses are clicking, um, which definitely means this game's going to be a 20-17 to 17 kind of game. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think that this is a good indication to where both of these teams are at because um, they tend to be grouped in that uh, that tier beneath like Clemson, Alabama. and um, So like if one team really looks good, I think there would be a lot of conversation to be in that fourth spot for the playoff um, sure. ranking. Um, and then the last matchup I have is Utah at USC. Now, I know USC isn't as good as they're projected to be, especially with uh, Daniels out at quarterback. But um, Utah is growing as the favorite to win the Pac-12 South. Well, definitely the South, but even the whole Pac-12. And if they do run the table, they could make a... They have an outside chance at a playoff spot. And uh, one of their stats that I thought was interesting was that they had 11 penalties for 105 yards. Um, something like that going forward will hinder their success, whether yeah. it's this weekend or even down the road. Um, I, I felt like that was, like these good teams don't get penalized. And if they want to take that next step into the top eight, top four, they, uh, they really need to cut down on that. Right. Well, I like the preview data. Steve, any follow-up questions to the, the data points that Brad mentioned? Uh, no, I, I think those are all really good points. And, you know, as he said, that Notre Dame-Georgia game is going to be the one to watch. Um, you know, your two teams in the top ten. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think Georgia's a favorite, but Notre Dame can, uh, could, should challenge them. Okay. Well, Steve, let's move on to you and and let's talk about the player side of of college football and and which which college players really looked good and this past weekend and were maybe on the rise on some draft boards well i think uh you know this was a week and we talked about it a little last week there weren't a lot of like big matchups this week yeah. uh no ranked opponents a lot of you know out of conference and power five playing 
you know the bottom five or uh, or even uh, division um, one you know what is one double A. Um, so there there were a lot of blowouts, uh, but probably two games to highlight are the top two, and it, it's uh, Clemson and Syracuse, and then Alabama versus South Carolina. These were uh, interconference games. These were you know Syracuse and South Carolina are decent teams, uh, definitely a, a big gap below the Clemson and Alabama, uh, but both Clemson and Alabama to a lesser extent, but both were just on fire. And uh, I mean, both quarterbacks, uh, Trevor Lawrence is of course not draft eligible this year, but he had his best game of the year so far and just absolutely blew Syracuse out of the water. Uh, T Higgins went off for 150 yards, looked every bit the first round talent that people are projecting him uh, to a, was amazing with almost 450 yards and five touchdowns passing. You know, Alabama's always been a team that's relied heavily on the run, and now they have the best quarterback probably arguably in the country and best quarterback they've had in ever. Uh, well, not ever, but it, at least in Nick Saban's era. And and now they are just one of the most pass-happy they've ever been, and it's showing. Um and, and it's highly effective. One interesting side note is uh, looking at Oklahoma and their f- former quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who never could do anything at Alabama, uh, is continuing to put up huge numbers uh, for Lincoln Riley's offense. And he had almost 300 yards passing on just 20 attempts, three passing touchdowns, and he also ran for 150 in a touchdown uh, oh. in a matchup versus UCLA. Um, which was on the road for Oklahoma, but I mean UCLA is not a good team this year, so that was a bit of an easier matchup. But um, just really goes to show how sometimes you got to get just get these guys in the right school in the right system um, for them to to really pay off. But uh, a lot of really good quarterback play this week. Jake Fromm was huge. Herbert was huge. Um, Joe Burrow continued to p- play well. Sam Englander uh, from Texas had a, another good game. Uh, Ian Brooke from Notre Dame, you know, just all, we saw all the quarterbacks just really go off this week. Right. I know we haven't talked about this yet, but how many quarterbacks at this point, first month of the season are in like first round consideration? Um, I, you know, I think I think the, the three most obvious are Tua um, from Justin Herbert um, or Ever. Um and but uh, you know I wouldn't be surprised if another one or two sneak in. We also need to see who actually declares. Right, uh, of course. You know we always have a surprise uh, one way or another. Either somebody stays an extra year or somebody comes out. So um, you know I think we will see probably four quarterbacks in the first round when it's all said and done. And uh, I think as we see in the NFL, and I think we'll get to in a little bit, there's a lot of teams with quarterback needs. Um, that are going to be looking to draft quarterback high. Sure. Um, well, now let's switch to kind of the, the non-position players, skill position players, and, and on offense or defense, who are some other players that we should be really watching after the, the, this past weekend? Well, I think uh, the guys I'd want to mention are LSU. They, they had a huge shootout two weeks ago versus Texas, and their defense was – which is filled with some first-round talents like Grant Delpit, uh, safety, Kirsten Fulton, cornerback. Uh, they obviously didn't look great in that matchup, 
going on from here. They really need to show that they can cover, uh, they can, they have the, the skill sets and aren't getting torched for uh, these big gains like they were in that Texas matchup. But I don't think anyone's really down on them just yet. But that, that's a team with a ton of early round talent, including a couple first round prospects that started poorly, um, had a good week this week, but they faced Northwestern State. I mean, that was, you know, totally expected. So they're going to have some big matchups coming up, and uh, they are a team to watch to see if all that talent can actually click together. Right. Well, guys, um, be sure to check out Steve's rankings. He updates them every Tuesday on On the Clock. You can also, um, every Tuesday, we update the draft order. We also update the draft order and include the recent trades between the Steelers and Dolphins. So check out On the Clock on fanspeak.com. It's a great way to learn about prospects, and um, you can be the GM. So, guys, let's move on to NFL. And it has been a busy week um, in the NFL, unfortunately, because of a lot of injuries. So I'm going to kind of ask you guys both the same question, get your takes on everything. Um, and let's first discuss, unfortunately, the the quarterback injuries to, you know, so many future Hall of Famers um, like Big Ben, um, Drew Brees, um, um, Ben Roethlisberger is done for the season. Bre- uh, Brees is going to be out um, for several weeks um, and then, and then we have Cam possibly nursing an injury. Um, Cam Newton possibly is going to be out this week. Um, that's to be determined yet. But I guess my question is, you know, how? I guess to discuss the impact to each of these teams. Uh, Brad, I'll let you go first. Uh, yeah, um, I think obviously the the offenses take a a tick down, um, maybe a little bit more than a tick. Um, it really takes up the explosiveness of the offenses as well. Um, I mean, Rudolph looked okay coming in for Ben. Um, um, he's still able to put up some points, but Bridgewater looked lost. He couldn't move the ball. He didn't even take the free yards when checking down to Alvin Kamara. <laughs> I, I'd be really worried if I were a Saints fan. Like, yeah, it did not look very promising and. I know Teddy Bridgewater is supposed to be one of the better backups, but maybe you credit the Rams at being better defense than people might give them credit for. And maybe with more preparation, um, Teddy Bridgewater will do better. But um, going off what we saw this past Sunday, I think, you know, the Saints have a real, will have a real tough time outside of um, Kamara and Thomas to get the ball down the field. I think uh, Mason Rudolph, based on his performance, you know, they were still able to score. I know the Seattle's, you know, not as good as the Rams, but they're not, you know, the Dolphins. So I would be more optimistic for the Steelers. Now, they didn't have the greatest start, but um, I don't think, I don't think they'll be making the playoffs, but um, instead of going, you know, two and 14, they might be able to win six games because there's still a lot of talent on the team, right. um, especially with the trade today. Was that today? Yes. For, yeah. Okay. Last yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd be more optimistic as a Steelers fan with my, the um, progression of the back quarterback. Sure. 
Steve, Brad made a lot of, of good points. Do you kind of agree with what he said? Or do you think, you know, all these teams are kind of, you know, dead in the water? Any of them have a chance with their backup quarterbacks? What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think from just the perspective that the Saints are 1-1 one one versus Steelers being 0-2 and the fact that Breeze is coming back in, you know, uh, projected six weeks, um, uh, though, I, you know, I think you do have to wonder just how well he will come back. You got to give them a little bit of an edge because if Bridgewater, say in six weeks, they go two and four, um, you know, and then Breeze comes back and they run the table or, or come close to it, they can easily still be um, have a shot for a, a playoff, especially a wild card. I also think that division is a bit more up in the air because Cam is dealing with an injury and the, the Panthers are off to a slow start. Uh, and, the you know, the Falcons look better versus the Eagles, but they, you know, have had some issues to start this year. So that that's a more wide-open division where, uh, you know, right now the Ravens, uh, obviously they had two very easy opponents, but they pretty much seem to have that division on lock. Um, you know, but overall, I agree with Brad. I mean, Rudolph looked a lot better. I think, uh, you know, once they get Dante Moncrief out of the lineup, that offense will look better <laughs> um, because he has just been absolutely terrible. And, of course, Rudolph does have the connection with James Washington going back to college. Um, and I think there's probably a little bit more all-around offensive and defensive talent on the Steelers and the Saints. I think the Saints were highly reliant on their big three, Breeze, Kamar, and Thomas. And, of course, without Breeze, Kamar and Thomas take a huge hit. So uh, I think Connor is more of a between-the-tackles runner. They can they can handle that kind of transitioning more to that type of offense a little bit more. Um, and then I think the Steelers' offensive line is a little better, and their defense is better. Uh, and, again, as Brad pointed out, especially now, I think a Fitzpatrick deal. So... You know, I think Steelers are probably looking at like an 8-8 eight eight season. Um, Saints, you know, a lot's going to rely on, on just how soon Breeze can come back and what he looks like when he's coming back. They, I think, have a chance for a little bit more um, just based on all the factors I mentioned before. I've heard reports of, of Ben Roethlisberger still wanting to play out his contract and, you know, healing up and coming back next year. Do either of you think that what do you, I mean, it's too far to project, but what do you think if you were to just kind of make a wager right now? Brad, do you think he'll come back next year? Um, I don't know exactly what his elbow injury is, um, but I personally don't think he will, but he might be too stubborn to retire, so he'll probably be, be, probably be back. Um, and I, I was kind of thinking um, with the trade today, well, um, I, it kind of made me think if their team thinks that Big Ben will be back next year right? Um, and not quite giving up on this window with Big Ben as the quarterback and um, while you still have, you know, Juju there and um, everyone else. So I, I kind of am leaning towards he's going to come back. Um, but if it's, um, you know, like an elbow injury like Tommy John, that can take 12 to 16 months and, really eat into next season as well. So, um, Steve, what do you think, do you, Steve? Do you think we'll see Ben back in black and gold next year? I think so. And, and I think, as Brad said, I think the Steelers, from their perspective, they two things, I think they had to have confidence in Rudolph 
that they don't go two and fourteen this season because if so, Minka Fitzpatrick for let's say the second overall pick behind the Dolphins, um, that's a pretty steep price. And especially in the most quarterback friendly draft, you know, I don't want to, we've obviously had a couple good ones recently, but what projects to be one of the most quarterback friendly drafts, uh, if, if you are afraid that Ben's not coming back and you don't have confidence in Rudolph, then giving up the top five, you know, top 10 pick is a huge risk. So they really need to go something like eight and eight, uh, seven to nine, eight and eight, and um, have Ben come back next year for the trade to really make sense for them, I feel like. So I feel like those things are a little connected. Granted, a lot can happen between now and next year. Maybe the injury's worse. Maybe the recovery isn't as good as, as you'd normally expect. And uh, Ben does decide to hang him up. I mean, we obviously just saw Luck hanging him up after. Mm-hmm a whole off season of thinking that he'd be back. Um, so we'll have to see, but at the same time, Ben has, you know, 20 million, some reasons to come back next year. So <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty good motivator. Sure. Brad, before we move on to the, from the injured quarterbacks, what kind of, what are they saying in the Carolina area about Cam's injury? Obviously on Thursday night football, People were obviously noticing that he looked injured, and obviously he may not play. So, what are yeah. what are fans' thoughts there? Um, so, after the game on Thursday, Ron Rivera was asked if Cam was feeling any sort of side effects from the foot um, that he injured in the preseason. He cut off the the reporter asking the question and said, "Nope, it's not the foot." Later on, we find out that it is the foot. <laughs> um, so. I think every fan is starting to remember the last eight games of last year mm-hmm. where he clearly couldn't, like, I don't think during the Saints game, um, he threw the ball further than 15 yards down the field. Right. And, you know, you can't win a game like that. And so we're all thinking if he had just, you know, like, no need to prolong him, just take him out. Season's over anyway, whether you lose your quarterback um, or if you play with him injured. Um, you know, just get, get healthy first. Let's not try and rush him back. Um, cause you know, the, this team's not going to go anywhere without Cam. Right. And, uh, you know, I think most fans are just like, just let him sit, let him rest. And you know, I don't know what Ron Rivera's thinking, you know, his job's definitely on the line. And yeah, if he wants one in the future, looking incompetent in these situations doesn't, really bode well for him um so i don't know I, so I as a panthers so as a, that's what i was just gonna ask so as a panthers fan starting to win two you'd rather just get him healthy mm. yeah i'd rather go oh and five get a healthy cam sure. i don't think it'll be three weeks but say it's one and four get healthy cam you know right you went 15 and one when healthy and so i you know i'll take my chances with a healthy cam than getting 50 percent whatever that was on <laughs> whatever that was yeah it wasn't good i saw a stat where he had the highest percentage like ever with missing wide open receivers at 33 percent or something like that and i was like you know something's definitely not right and yeah he's just got to take a week or two yeah okay well let's now talk about another quarterback situation and it's the giants moving on from eli manning and and starting daniel jones um do you think it's the right move to do so so early in the season? Steve, you watched a lot of Daniel Jones. Um, do you think it's the right move to start him so early or move on so early? Um, you know, I do think this is a 
a pretty decent time for the Giants to do so. They have Tampa this week. Uh, you know, that that's not exactly the most fearful um, defense. And then the Redskins here are struggling at home. Uh, so that could give them a two-week window to kind of get settled in. But right after that, it does get rough with uh, the Vikings and then the Patriots and then at the Patriots. So that that's a bit of a concern. I really thought it would be after that window that they might look to bring him in. Um, but I, I get it. You know, that that's a team that I think while they're not outright tanking like the Dolphins, they know that this is not their year. They're, there was no real expectations that they were going to do anything this year. They, their defense is a completely new defense. There's a number of rookies starting or playing significant roles on it. Um, they don't have a pass rush. Their offensive line is better, but still an issue. Uh, they have pretty much no weapons right now except Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram. Uh, you know, I think Sterling Shepard will be back soon and Golden Tate will be back from suspension a little bit. But this is a team that is clearly playing for next year. Uh, so why not give the reps to Daniel Jones? If he struggles, he struggles. You know, we've seen a number of of young quarterbacks come in and struggle and then play, play well in a, a year or two. I mean, Jared Goff uh, obviously comes to mind. Um, yeah. You know, Mitch Trubisky's first year was, was really bad. Look at, look at how bad Lamar Jackson looked last year um, when he was throwing the football and look how good he looks now throwing the football. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think teams aren't as afraid of uh, that, uh, you know, I guess setting a, a young quarterback back back too much uh, with poor play as a rookie. So, uh, you know, I get it from their perspective. I think he's going to take a lot of lumps. And Eli was still playing like Eli had played, which is okay uh, these first two weeks. But you know, he he's not good enough anymore to to carry the team. And just moving on to Daniel Jones, I think they figured sooner rather than later, and just keep the fans interested. Sure. Brad, would you agree with Steve's assessment that now might be the right time to move on to Daniel Jones? Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking um, they might have, should have just started the season with them. It's mm-hmm. not like Eli had, you know, came into the season looking any better than he did last season. Right. Um, I mean, it's kind of to Steve's point. It's like they know they're going to struggle. They There weren't, weren't really any expectations. Why not give Daniel Jones some, some game time? Um, I mean, I expect him to struggle like any other rookie quarterback, but, you know, extra game time will help speed up the process, or at least theoretically speed up the process. And, um, you know, it it might be less embarrassing for Eli to uh, not get the job taken away from him after just two games than, you know, not starting the season. So I, I just... It was a matter of time, and, um, you know, it's not like this situation is where you, uh, Eli's competent and he, Daniel Jones can sit out the whole year because halfway through it, they're 0-6. Right. You know, all of New York's going to be calling for Daniel Jones to play, and so I think it's the right decision, whether it was now, two weeks ago, or in two weeks. Right. Well, let's talk now about um, moving back to the Steelers, the Minka Fitzpatrick trade um, from the Dolphins to the Steelers. Were you surprised the Steelers made the move? Um, And does this make sense for both the Steelers and Dolphins in your mind, Steve? Well, I touched on it a little bit 
earlier, uh, I think a lot depends on where the Steelers end up. You know, if, if this is a top 10 pick, that could be a bit of a stretch because you're already, if this season is lost, as we kind of expect with Roethlisberger out, you're kind of saying, kind of lose two years of Fitzpatrick's value. So, uh, you know, that top 10 pick, you know, you'd have five years. You only get Fitzpatrick for three at that point. So, you know, there's a bit of risk there. Um, if it's more like a pick in the 15 to 20 range, uh, you know, at like a seven and nine to nine and seven, but miss the playoffs type record, then I think that makes a lot more sense because I think Fitzpatrick is likely the talent gap uh, from what you'd get in that range probably is enough value for the burning those two extra years. Um, but, you know, I think the Steelers just saw an, an area where they could get a young potential star player who's also extremely versatile. They've already announced they're going to play him at safety with Sean Davis's injury. Uh, and that's where they needed help the most. Um, and, but he can also play corner. He can play in the slot. Like you can just move him around. He's always going to be on the field. Uh, and, you know, going forward for them, he can just be their X factor. And, uh, you know, that that's an enticing thing to have uh, on a defense, especially in this type of NFL when each team matches up differently. You know, you need him to cover a tight end, he can cover a tight end. You need him to cover a big slot, he can go into the slot and cover a big slot. Um, outside cover a slot or, or, or cover a big receiver or a quick receiver, he can do that. He can play free safety. He can play strong safety. So you can move him around and match up with teams and, you know, kind of take away their best player. And that that's a very, very nice weapon to have on the back end of your defense. And uh, so I get it from that perspective. From the Dolphins' perspective, clearly this team's quitting around them. And I think everyone wants out. Um, you know, I think they look at it kind of the same way. Like, already we lose two of Fitzpatrick's years. Um, probably we're going to be bad next year. So that's three years of Fitzpatrick of, you know, us not going anywhere. Um, at that point, it's very unlikely he'd want to re-sign with them long-term, so why not get a first and uh, and really try and cash in with a big draft class and, you know, the ability to move up and down, you know, with all these extra picks, they could trade back, stockpile for future years, as we've seen other teams do, uh, like the Browns. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely get it from their perspective, but it's it's just going to be ugly in Miami this year. I mean, they are likely going to get blown out in just about every game they play. It's hard to see where they sneak in a win. You know, maybe um, they, they find one win this year, but it's going to be bad out, out in uh, Miami. Brad, do you kind of agree with that assessment from both the Steelers or Dolphins' side? Do you think it was kind of a win for both of them? Yeah, I do think it kind of makes sense on both sides. Um, I still am surprised by it. Um, because, you know, after a team loses their franchise quarterback to injury, you kind of think they might just pack it up and, and go home. But um, I, I do think the Steelers can make, you know, in the season with a decent record um, to make that pick uh, more, val- I guess, more valuable to them to give up. Does that make sense? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, not not as like, I don't think they're going, you know, 3-13 and 13 or anything. I think they could win in that 7 range. Um, so I think... I think it kind of makes sense for both teams because, um, you know, Dolphins are tanking. They get a, a first-round pick, and then the Steelers, their defense wasn't very good. They get someone that can, you know, play all over the field, 
And then uh, going forward, they have a proven commodity on defense and you don't have to, you know, necessarily wait for one in the draft. Um, You know, right. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of of a win-win. A win-win. Yeah. Well, speaking of Fitzpatrick, there's other players that are unhappy asking for trades. You have Jalen Ramsey from the Jaguars asking for a trade. There was talk today that Jamal Adams had some issues with the Jets. Um, obviously, the Redskins have dealt with issues with Trent Williams. Does this seem like it's happening more often? Um, what do you make of all this, Brad? Um, it's definitely happening more often. Um, you know, whether it's a holdout or demanding a trade, players are demanding yeah. what they want slash what they're worth, um, sure. which I, I think it's fair. You know, they they do all this stuff. They generate a lot of, you know, revenue for the team, and they produce right. – great stats so they deserve to be paid and you know the salary cap goes up and up the nfl makes more and more a year the every year so you know i i don't mind it um it definitely feels more like the nba though um and <laughs> that's a good take yeah yeah um i i think it's interesting um you know some players are very abrasive and some coaches are very no nonsense Sure. Like an example is Jalen Ramsey and uh, um, Maroon Tom, Tom Coughlin. I know he's oh, not Tom. the coach, but oh, he's right, uh, right. in charge there. And he's definitely old school, no nonsense kind of guy. And uh, right. so I didn't think that was going to last too long um, or this <laughs> this saga is going to last too long. But, you know, there's a lot of different personalities with coaches and players and you know i'm not too surprised with you know this becoming more of a thing especially with everyone in the nba changing teams every year so right it's only i guess it was only a matter of time sure steve would you agree with brad's assessment does it kind of feel more like the nba and do you see this to kind of going to keep happening more and more yeah i also think um you know one thing that is that also as a factor is the NFL is very different with players having shortened careers and, uh, you know, I think guys don't like being on losing situations because football is such a team sport that when you're on a bad team, you look bad, even if it's not your fault. Minka Fitzpatrick is on a defense that's giving up 30, 40, 50 points a game. Right. It's looking bad. It's not his fault. I mean, it's, you know, same with, you know, so, you know, some of these other situations um, and not just going back to the ones this year, but in other cases, Odell Beckham and other guys who have looked to, to try and force their way out um, in recent years. And, you know, in other sports in baseball or even the NBA, if you're on a bad team, you can still look great. You know, you, you know, there's Baltimore Orioles players who are hitting 30 home runs, 30 plus home runs this year. It's not their fault that they're the wor- you know one of the worst teams in baseball, um, and they're still and they're going to have such a long career that whenever they hit free agency, people will remember them hitting thirty home runs. Right. In in football, you know, let's say Kenyon Drake, there was talk that he might be the next guy to move. You know, him averaging three point three yards a carry is just going to kill his his free agent value in a couple years, and and that's not to say he's forcing his way out, but you know that kind of stuff is just going to kill your value. Um, so I think in the NFL, it's a much different system with given, you know, shortened careers and your, your prime years being so important, especially for establishing maybe that one big free agency hit, 
um, to, to really pay off. So I think that can be a factor as well. And, uh, you know, especially in the case of Jalen Ramsey, uh, you know, I mean, he knows that he needs to go to a good team. Like if, if the Jaguars are struggling again and, and, you know, I think there's other factors involved, but he's about to get, you know, he's considered one of the best corners in the game. I think he wants to show that he can shut down on a really good defense and not always have to carry this offense that is just struggling. And part of that is, of course, Nick Bowles' injury as well. So I think those kind of things can factor into some of these issues uh, that other sports maybe don't have to deal with as much. Right. Um, well, let's let's take a quick recap of week two before we look ahead to week three. Um, what stood out the most to you guys this week in the NFL week two? It can be a trend, a team, a stat. Uh, Brad, what stood out the most to you? Um, I think uh, looking back, you can look at two divisions. Um, the NFC West has three 2-0 teams. Um, I think the 49ers are definitely kind of surprising people with the way they're winning the games. Yeah. Um, pretty much blowing out the Bengals. And uh, then you have the Rams and the Seahawks, who everyone kind of thought they were the best of the division. So I think it'll be really interesting going forward to see how not only will these teams face each other, but, you know, can they still keep this upward trend going? Um, right. And then the third team or the fourth team in the division is Kyler and the Cardinals, but <laughs> um, they're at least decent fun to watch. Um, right. And then the second division I mentioned was the AFC South. Um, they're not as prolific. They're much more ugly games. You know, a lot of um, 13 to 12s and 17 to 16s, but um, they will be very close games um, throughout the division. It'll be very competitive, and I think it'll be very interesting to see, you know, how things go with that division. Um, because I swear it's always a, a different winner every year. Um, oh, you're absolutely and, correct. Yeah. You know, eight and eight can win the division. Um, it probably won't, but uh, it feels like that. And then the last thing, uh, the Bills are the best team in New York. I guess the only team in New York, but um, <laughs> that's beside the point. Um, I, I think they they look pretty good. I think they yeah. could. They're definitely the second best team in that division, and I think they could uh, steal a wild card spot. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Steve, what's your kind of biggest takeaway from week two? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, Brad had a lot of uh, good takes, and definitely um, one that I wanted to follow up on was just how impressive for the Colts, um, you know, with the whole Andrew Luck thing. They play the Chargers to to overtime. They lose in overtime. Uh, but then they come back and they beat the Titans in Tennessee, Um you know, that's just a real testament to how that team's coached and how they are a lot more balanced. But they just find ways to produce, um, which which is impressive. But, you know, I think uh, one thing I, I will point to is, again, it's two weeks, but I think we're starting to see some interesting things here. Um, you know, Chicago, that offense has not gotten right yet. Uh, I know it was a tough matchup on the road, Denver defense. But, boy, they, they did not look great there. And, you know, um, you know, Mitch Trubisky, I think there's a lot of talk how he was the product of the system last year, and that's fine, but the system's the same. Why is he not producing on the same level? Uh, you know, I think a lot of quarterbacks can be somewhat products of their system. Um, and the Packers are looking better. So uh, that 
that division is going to be interesting. Um, I think the other thing that I found uh, somewhat interesting is uh, Detroit. You know, they, they play for the tie in week one, but then they come home and they beat a tough Chargers team. I know the Chargers had lost Hunter Henry and were a little banged up. Elsewhere, and of course, still missing Melvin Gordon. But, you know, Chargers were one of the best teams in, in the league a year ago. People thought they'd be the same this year, a lock for either the division or the wild card. And, uh, you know, I think that AFC is right now looking like a three-team race with the Patriots, Chiefs, and Ravens. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Patriots being the favorite. And, and to go to Brad's point about the Bills still in the wild card, I mean, who really are you looking at the wild card there? I mean, I think most people would still say the Chargers, but the Steelers' issues with the whole, does anyone predict any a wild card coming from the AFC South? I don't really think so. So uh, I, I definitely think the Bills are, are taking a wild card and um, or, or have an inside track at a wild card spot at this point. So, you know, the AFC is looking very condensed at the top and then wide open beyond that. The NFC... I think is a bit more wide open, but I think there's a lot more teams that feel playoff capable uh, in the NFC than the AFC at this point. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's interesting how much you can see just two weeks in. So, well, now we're going to move on to fantasy football and get ready for week three fantasy. And, you know, whether you're playing season long or daily fantasy, hopefully these questions and answers um, will help you. Um, instead of kind of comparing DraftKings and based on, you know, comparable pricing, there's some really interesting situations to handle this week. Um, and so I kind of wanted to get your guys' feedback on that um, about some of these you know, new quarterbacks and everything. So how are you guys going to handle these cheap quarterbacks on DraftKings like um, Mason Rudolph, Daniel Jones um, versus the high-priced quarterbacks in tournaments? Sorry for my dogs sounding like a tambourine in the background. <laughs> um, but no, how, 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 Brad, I'll start with you. How will you handle the cheap quarterbacks um, in a, a tournament? I know in cash, you usually um, most people try to tend to spend less on quarterbacks, but in tournaments, you know, you've got Rudolph and Daniel Jones so cheap versus these high-priced studs like, you know, obviously Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. How do you see handling that in tournaments? Um, I mean, I'll play play a couple of times and, you know, sprinkle them in. But I think I wouldn't play them too much. I really like – I hate to say this, but I'd rather pay up a couple hundred bucks for a <laughs> Jameis Winston. Um, <laughs> I, I think – um, people will not enjoy playing him again, so I, I kind of think that'll be uh, partially contrarian. And I also think that he is a great matchup. Um, yeah. It's as good as you can get without playing the Dolphins. So I think I think that might be the way to go if you're going to go cheap. Um, but you know, Jones and Rudolph, they, they I, I th- think you should still play them um, a little bit. Like Sprinkleman, yeah. Yeah. Steve, what's your take on that? Uh, the cheap quarterbacks versus the high-priced quarterbacks in tournament play? Yeah, I think uh, I, I tend to agree with Brad. Um, I'm not sure if I, I'd go up to the top, though. I mean, Dak Prescott versus Miami is obviously uh, quite the tempting option, given just how bad that Miami team is. Um, you know, I think... But I don't think I'd go all the way down to Daniel Jones or Rudolph. Uh, of the two, I'd play. I'd probably play Daniel Jones because I do think Tampa just their young defense have a lot of holes. 
still. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm sure he'll have some dump-offs, but those are dump-offs to guys like Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley who can take a, you know, a five-yard pass to turn it into a 50-yard touchdown. Um, I, I agree that Jameis Winston is very much in play because the Giants' defense is one of the worst in the league. Um, I also think, you know, you have situations where, depending on how injuries play out with the with the Eagles, you know, Carson Wentz could be a tough matchup. Detroit's had a pretty solid defense, but Kyler Murray obviously um, put up decent numbers on them. Wentz at home, um, if enough weapons are healthy for a few hundred more, is not bad. Phillip Rivers is always better at home. Houston's defense, I think you can pick them apart. Um, so those are probably two options that aren't that much more expensive that I would tend to go to. Okay. Now we have um, Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes playing in real life. Um, but who would you play more of week three, or will you play both a lot, Brad? Um, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. Um, yeah. I think both are great plays. Um, but if I had to pick one, I think taking the savings with, uh, with Jackson is probably where I'm going to go. Um, sure. I also like the, the more of the rushing production that comes with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that Mahomes is going to you know, not have a good floor, but um, I, I just like the, the higher upside with, you know, both of them can throw for 350 and three touchdowns, but Lamar can also run for 60 and another touchdown more likely than uh, Mahomes can. So right. I think, I think I'm going to, going to go with Jackson. Um also, if you really want to buy into this, Kansas City is going to Baltimore at 1 p.m. Um, that's narrative, though. That's just creating a tiebreaker in my, my head. So I'm sure. not really going to weigh that too heavily, but um, I think I'm just going to stick with the savings in Jackson. Stick with the savings. Okay, Steve, how about you? Lamar or Lamar Jackson or Pat Mahomes? Who would you play more of week three? Well, it actually, it's in Kansas City, the game, so. Oh, um, I must have misread that. Yeah, no, yeah, so I'm I'm actually going to go Mahomes. Um, For that I, reason, helping that he's at home? I think helping that he's at home. Kansas City's always a tough place to play. Um, I think Lamar Jackson can be fine, but I think, I think Mahomes is just much more, obviously much more proven, but also proven against good defenses. I mean, Lamar Jackson... This is not knocking him, but he's had two amazing fantasy t- games against probably two of the three or four worst defenses in the league. So, uh, you know, I, I think he can be fine, but is he going to produce enough to justify that price? Kansas City's not a great defense uh, by any stretch, but I think it's definitely better than Dolphins or Cardinals. I mean, those secondaries are just Terrible. the worst in the league. Right. Um, and, and very no lack of no no ability to get after the quarterback. Um, I think Jackson has a good floor, but I don't think his ceiling will justify the price. I think Mahomes, as we've seen, has the chance to uh, make the price well worthwhile. I mean, you know, he had four, he had like, what, 360 and four touchdowns in the first half last week. You know. Unreal. Uh, yeah. In know, the second quarter. It, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much all in the second quarter. Like, if he wants to... He can score. I mean, that's Andy Reid and Mahomes can pretty much do whatever they want at this point. So, uh, I'm and gonna, the Ravens' defense doesn't scare you. 
uh, now you know they're they're kind of banged up a little bit, and it is in Kansas City. Um, uh, you know, Kyler Murray actually had a a solid game in terms of fantasy numbers versus them. Uh, didn't get enough touchdowns to be a huge fantasy play, but uh, you know, I think obviously wide open passing offenses. Yeah, you know that that's what Kyler Murray's doing. Uh, no reason why Mahomes, who's much more experienced and much more talented right now and has better weapons and better offensive line, can do the same thing. So, um, but, but as I said before, I mean, Dak Prescott is, if I'm paying up, that's where I want to go. Mm, okay. Sounds good. Well, I mean, it's definitely going to be an exciting game to watch, um, and I'll probably have exposure to both. Like you said, there's not a wrong answer, Brad. Um, now let's discuss defense. It's a highly volatile position. Um, in week one, um, for instance, you paid down for San Francisco. They were the play. They they got you a ton of points, and you barely paid anything. But for week two, if you didn't have the Patriots defense, which you had to pay up for against Miami, you weren't winning a tournament. So do you think kind of the new formula should be just play who's ever the in at whatever defense is playing the Dolphins, which happens to be the Cowboys this week, even though they're the most expensive, or because defense is so volatile, kind of mix it up and do a little of both? What's your take, Brad? Um, I'm definitely going to be on the side where you mix it up, kind of do both. Um, but I think going forward in cash, it might just be smart to play whoever's playing the Dolphins. Um, right. Uh, I, I like two two higher priced defenses, uh, Pats and the Cowboys this week. Um, they play uh, Luke Falk and the Jets and yeah. the Dolphins, as you mentioned already. But right. um, as far as like the cheaper defenses, I try to look for teams that will be in somewhat higher scoring games, so there's more opportunity for sacks and right. uh, interceptions, um, especially against you know someone like. I don't know, Daniel Jones. Um, right. I think the Bucks might be an interesting play with... Um, I agree. I think I think that game could, you know, have a decent total. And I think as his first real NFL action, he could potentially make mistakes. Right. So I think there's, there's opportunity there. And I like to play those in um, tournaments because it tends to open up more um, on my lineup. I like to, to play... You know, higher priced wide receivers and running backs try and jam as many as I can because you know if everyone's playing Kamara I'd also like to have you know David Johnson in there or something right um, not necessarily this week but just as a hypothetical sure um, than having sure. to play um, I don't know Tyrell Williams for 4400 every week the right. less Raiders I play the better I'm off <laughs> good point Steve would you agree with Brad's assessment of Kind of mixing it up, doing a little bit of both, or having a different strategy for cash or tournaments. What What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there can be somewhat of a different strategy for cash tournaments. I think in cash, you go either Cowboys or Patriots because they are facing yeah just basically non NFL offenses right now. I mean, you know, Jets have some other good pieces around, but that's a weak offensive line with a third string quarterback, and it's at New England. I mean. There's not really a tougher situation in the league right now. And then, of course, Dolphins are at Dallas. Uh, you know, they got plenty of pressure, you know, against the Redskins, who have a much better offensive line than Dolphins, and Case Keenum is a better quarterback than than uh, Fitzpatrick. So uh, I will say this. I think there's a lot of teams with great defensive matchups this week. I think mm-hmm. Buffalo at home, uh, Cincinnati, you know, there's, there's clearly some issues on that 
team Green Bay at home versus Joe Flacco. Uh, <laughs> Minnesota at home uh, with Oakland coming into town. Seattle at home with Teddy Bridgewater. You know, that's a fantastic situation. San Francisco at home with Mason Rudolph. I mean, those are all just tremendous situations uh, that, and we've already seen San Francisco's defense play extremely well through two weeks. So, um, you know, you're getting over a thousand savings from the Cowboys to go play San Francisco at home versus a quarterback making his first start. Um, Yeah. That's a, a pretty pretty good situation. One cheaper one that I would point to uh, would be the Chargers at home versus Houston. You know, Deshaun Watson is still taking a ton of hits, taking sacks. Um, you know, you just need one turnover, one pick six, and Chargers are, you know, could be the number one defense this week. And, uh, you know, they, they only have two sacks so far on the season, the Chargers do, but I, they have too much talent for that to keep up. I expect this to be a week where that defense breaks out. Yeah. yeah, I think their defensive ends might be the best combo in in the league. Yeah, so the, I, I do expect them to get a handful of sacks. So I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, well, you guys make a great point, and there's a lot to choose from. Um, well, let's talk about uh, as far as some of the high owned plays. Obviously, Ezekiel Elliott, I'm sure, will be chalk. Um, and you know a lot of the Cowboys, but what what do you think is the best player to kind of eat the chalk with Steve as a high owned play? Um, you know, I mean, like like you said with Elliot, uh, that is that's pretty much as good as it gets. Um, with that situation, uh, I wouldn't be surprised that they limit his carries uh, a little bit. That makes me nervous too. Yeah. Um, but he'll probably do so much in the first half that it'll still make him worthwhile. Uh, you know, I think I really like uh, a couple receivers that could be higher owned. I think Keenan Allen is in line for a big game at mm-hmm. home. He does not have strong secondary. Uh, and that game could be a bit of a shootout. Uh, so I see Keenan Allen having a big game. You know, he's projected to be higher owned. I'm, I'm definitely in on him. I know a lot of people are talking... Uh, going back to the Christian McCaffrey, well, a little concerned if Cam is not playing, uh, but Arizona is not a good defense, so I, I think McCaffrey is fine to eat the chalk with a little bit. And then, um, you know, Austin Eckler is a, you know, he's produced in two weeks. You know, Melvin mm-hmm. Gordon, he's sitting at home right now, and he's watching Eckler fill his role perfectly. So uh, Eckler's scoring touchdowns and getting catches, getting yards. Again, I see that game as a bit of a shootout. Eckler's price has gone up, but it's still not top tier. And as we saw last year, Melvin Gordon was consistently one of the best fantasy running backs. It's, that's a great situation out, out there for the Chargers. Eckler keep up level of touches, especially receiving touches. He's definitely worth rostering. Yeah. Brad, what, um, what's your take on that? Yeah, so uh, the two I actually were interested in were the last two Steve mentioned. Uh, McCaffrey still gets 100% of the snaps. Um, I think, you know, with North Turner really only having one one guy as his guy, without Cam, I do think they will kind of force-feed McCaffrey a bit more, um, especially, hopefully, I guess the idea would be to open up the passing game 
for uh, Kyle Allen if he does play. Right. Um, and I think, you know, those are easy completions um, for Allen uh, with McCaffrey, you know, running five yards and turning around. Um, but I, I really like Eckler a lot. Um, I mean, let me ask you this. If, <laughs> if it said Melvin Gordon instead of Austin Eckler at 7,200, would you play him? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he, he, yeah, he got 17 carries and six catches last week, which is what Melvin Gordon gets. And right. um, I, I think the workload is just remarkable for that price. And, you know, he could easily get another 30 points this, this week, and I wouldn't be shocked. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, and they give him a lot of red zone looks also, both oh, yeah. air and on the ground. So, I mean, his touchdown equity is high. There's a he lot leads, to like him. Yeah, he leads the league in touchdowns, doesn't he? As a, so, yeah. yeah. Brad, as a Panthers fan, and I, I mean, I'll obviously um, you know, read the data on this this week, but when Cam's out, what what is McCaffrey's, how has his success rate been? I actually yeah. haven't looked at that. Um, I know last year I went to the Atlanta game at Carolina mm-hmm. and McCaffrey, I, f- I think that's the game he set the, uh, he got over a hundred catches and I think he had about, I don't know, a handful. Like he, it seemed like he was getting like a hundred and hundred that game. Um, there, he just oh, got, where so he got the double there. bonus. Was, he just got okay. so much usage. Um, I don't, I don't remember exactly the numbers, but I just remember him getting like all the work. Crazy usage. So I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if something like that happened again. Okay, just checking because I was so surprised on Thursday night that they just didn't use him more when they obviously realized Cam wasn't. I, I don't think Cam was hitting anyone. So yeah, because <laughs> I mean McCaffrey had you know, fifteen carries, which isn't like the worst thing, but I mean he only had one or two catches which is that's what surprised me i guess which was really low for him so that really made him look much worse than um and i think most people will probably blame him for it right yeah it could have people off him this week so um what what do you guys like as a a best contrarian play this week a a a play that you know could be super low owned, be in the millie maker um can be at any position what what do you like as some low owned plays brad um based on the percentage ownership percentage uh, that I saw, um, this seemed very low to me, um, especially since I think this game will be very popular. Uh, Mar- Marquise Brown was only like projected to be seven percent owned, hmm. um, and I think he should be, you know, as chalky as it can get because you know the high scoring game, right? Leading wide receiver on the team, um, he had. The highest snap share for any pass catcher um, on the the Ravens this past week. He also had 13 targets and eight catches. Um, a completely different worry. Like I, after the first week, he only had 14 snaps. You know, only four catches, and you know that that was kind of like, will he play more? You know, after this past week, he's right? Clearly, the number one wide receiver. Um, Maybe not the number one pass catcher because Mark Andrews does get a lot, but he's number one wide receiver. It should be a high-scoring game. At the very least, Baltimore will have to catch up by throwing it. And you know, if he's truly only going to be seven, eight percent owned, I will lock him into every lineup. There you go, uh, Steve. What's what is your favorite kind of contrarian play this week? 
Um, yeah, you know, and, and I, I get ownership projections can be very uh, uh, tough this far out, but some of the numbers that I'm seeing, a couple, I'll just give a couple guys that I really like, that I think are in great spots. Um, you know, I'll start with the old man, uh, Larry Fitzgerald. <laughs> seen him under 10% owned. He's got back to back 100 yard weeks, what, back to back like 10 target weeks, um, uh, 5,100, under 10% owned. Uh, you know, Carolina secondary hasn't been their strongest uh, area. And, I, you know, I think Kyler Murray's going to just keep targeting him. So I like that. Uh, you know, Sammy Watkins, I guess since he, you know, kind of had that dud last week, his price goes down and his ownership plummets, um, you know, projected maybe around 5%. Mm. I really like that. And then um, Kenny Galladay. Uh, you know, at Philly, that has some shootout potential. I know, you know, everyone thinks Detroit's going to run slow, and they kind of did week two, but I don't know if they will be able to at Philly. So I could see Galladay having a big game, and I think he's the type of receiver that can give Philly some some trouble. Um, so I think those are some interesting things. I mean, obviously, I, I agree. The Marquise Brown, if if his ownership is where that's projected, that's that is a, a steal right there. Uh, and then I'll give one cheaper running back that I, again, saw a low ownership projection on, and that's um, Matt Breida. You know, he, I know he didn't get the touchdowns last week, but he had over 100 yards rushing, um, had a little involvement in the passing game, not as much as, as Mostert, but, um, you know, you get that bonus. I think he's the lead back in San Francisco. It's a game where they're at home versus Steelers team with essentially a rookie quarterback, uh, you know, guy making his first ever start. Likely going to be salting away a lead in the second half. I think he he could get the bonus again, get a lot of carries, and if he gets a touchdown, he's huge. So low price, low ownership. I'm I'm in on that. Yeah, well, I like. Going- Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I really like the breed of call. Um, he had over 10 yards of carry last week. Oh, wow. And I think he had was on the, the wrong side of touchdown variance. I mean, Jeff Wilson scored twice. I don't think that's <laughs> going to happen every week. Um, so I, I think that's a good call for, for that. I was just about to say, I really like uh, wrapping up the show with our fantasy takes. It gets me in a good mindset to start working on on my lineups and research and everything. But I think a lot of these were some really good starting points to to the research for week three. Well, guys, it was another another fun show, um, and we really appreciate you all for listening. Um, and to help us grow, be sure to like it, review it, share it with friends. Uh, before we sign off, uh, Brad, do you have any closing thoughts for the week? Um. I think the college football is going to have a, a bit better week this week. I think there's a lot better matchups. Um, one matchup I didn't even talk about was the uh, Auburn-Texas A&M game. Oh, nice. Um, I think that'll be interesting to see who's kind of that next tier after the, the top top couple, like Georgia, LSU, and Alabama, because then it's really Auburn, uh, Texas A&M, and Florida. So I think, you know, whoever wins this game kind of takes a, the next step forward right i think i think that'll be something to something to look forward to okay so better college football watching this week steve any closing thoughts for you um mine will be uh more fantasy football related and that is just 
look at the home teams this week. Uh, you know, obviously there's always home field advantage, but a lot of times, you know, you have to play uh, bad matchups in that. That's not the case this week. As I mentioned with the defenses, there's just a ton of great home matchups, both offensively and defensively, uh, of these home teams that could just rack up some big scores. We could see a number of blowouts this week or, or you know, pretty wide margins. So I expect home teams kind of roll this week. And uh, I'd, I'd want to target my fantasy lineups to have a lot of players from, from some of these uh, teams. All right, guys. Well, both good takes and, and a, another fun show. And on to the next week of football. So, again, thank you, everybody, for joining us. And we will see you next time.